Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Good morning, church. Good morning. How we doing today? Yeah. Good. Man, that's such a good worship set, man. It's so good to get to sit in it twice uh, today. So heavy and good. And the theme for today, just being listening to God's uh, voice, marking the team, man. Y'all did an incredible job of um, inviting us into to where you've already been all week. And so uh, thank you for that. For those of you that are new, my name is Corey. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Good to be your teaching pastor here for the, the next couple of weeks, about three weeks or so. Uh, excited to kick off today, uh, just 119. We're going to spend a few weeks uh, in 119. Before we do that, uh, let me remind you of a few things. First and foremost, uh, at Heights, we're about three things. We're about the gospel, we're about community, and we're about mission. The primary way that we uh, walk out gospel community mission is in what we call missional communities, kind of like small groups, but not quite, a, not quite a small group, kind of like a life group, but not quite a life group. It's a missional community. We're trying to figure out what does it look like uh, to be family and to live on mission in our local context uh, together with the gospel uh, in mind. And so if you're not yet plugged into uh, what we call MCs, I want to invite you to do that. You can download an app called Church Center. You simply download that app on your phone, and it'll show you based off proximity, kind of the closest missional community to you that's in your kind of local community. You can also RSVP for the gatherings such as this. You can RSVP your kiddos. Um, about 80, 90% of our people give uh, online, tithe online through Church Center apps. You simply search Church Center, not Church Center, just to be clear, Church Center, C-E-N-T-E-R, and you can pull up uh, everything. One of the things you'll be able to pull up on there uh, is our two-year celebration. So next Sunday, uh, we're going to... If you're going to do it, just commit, okay? <laughs> just commit. Uh, it, uh, we're going to celebrate two years uh, of being together as a merged church next Sunday. So uh, in the morning, we knew, like, we knew daylight savings was coming, and you all are slackers, and that extra hour you're going to lose, you just know way you're going to make it to church. Uh, so we canceled the services in the morning, pushed them all to 6 to 8 o'clock p.m. at Navigation Church. If you've not been to one of our uh, celebrations, we've done them since we've started Heights. We're going to continue doing it now uh, as, a, as a new, freshly merged church in the community. Uh, we're going to do baptisms. We're going to cast a vision uh, for where we're headed. We're going to celebrate stories. There'll be some sort of dessert, I imagine. Uh, it'll be a blast. I'm going to get like 15 people getting baptized. So if you um, need to get it done, yeah, you should probably clap about that. That's right. <laughs> That's way more exciting than just celebrating two years. And so um, if you need to get baptized, um, feel free to, you can reach out to us on Facebook. You can do info at weareheights.org. You can just come see me or one of your MC uh, leaders if you're in an MC. But I want to encourage you to come. Just be a part of that. I mean, we'll pack Navigation Church out. Uh, I think we'll see in there uh, why, in fact, we needed to buy and acquire a building because we all can't gather in one place at the same time here, which leads to the second thing then, our capital campaign. Uh, is launching. And so if you've been a part of Heights prior to the merge, we did a three-year capital campaign to kind of raise a nest egg of money. And God was faithful. And in uh, selling this building and in raising funds, we, uh, he, he gave us, the Father gave us 550 something uh, thousand dollars to put towards the building project already that we're moving 
towards. And so we want to continue in uh, that faithfulness. And so we're going to launch our next round of the capital campaign to help us uh, pay for the build out, to help us pay for the building that we have bought, that we bought the former Knights of Columbus. If you don't know anything about that, uh, welcome to Heights. It's something we did that the Lord allowed us to do last month. And so we get to launch this capital campaign. What that does not mean is we're, we're not going to get a thermometer out and like put it on stage and talk about how close we are to our goal. We're not going to build some kind of stairway to the next new session or season of our lives. What we are going to do is just continue to respond to God's faithfulness uh, to us. And so I'm not going to get up and manipulate. I'm going to just talk to you about Jesus and what it means to be generous and what it means to believe the gospel. And by God's grace, the, the church will respond and uh, we've been super financially healthy since the beginning. I have no doubt that this will go any different. And so excited. If you've had a poor experience with capital campaigns, I'm sorry. Uh, for three years, I think we had a pretty incredible dynamite time, man, just watching God be faithful and celebrate stories of his uh, generosity within our people. Last thing I have for you, not a slide uh, for this either. Uh, we spent eight weeks looking at uh, the Psalms. I think this is our eighth week, if I'm not mistaken. And the whole purpose of the Psalms, this whole purpose of this series, Psalms, Are You Listening?, was to teach you how to meditate, how to kind of just be still before the Lord. Everything that Mark just walked us through. How do you hear the voice of God? So for two months, uh, we've been doing this. For the next five weeks, we're going to add, we're going to, yeah, we added five weeks to the series, and we're just going to sit in Psalm 119. And in that, I want to invite you now that you've been in a rhythm of setting, especially if you're in a missional community, you have a, a rhythm of setting and being still for 15 minutes every week with your MC. Uh, I want to invite you to pin your own psalm. And, and in that, what I mean is I want you to, to pin or to write your own poem, your own song, your own lament, your own confession, your own celebration. And the hope here is that uh, within our missional communities, again, if you're not plugged into an MC, this is a great time to do it. Uh, within our MCs, we would like to start pinning our own psalm, an individual psalm for Corey, just setting in Psalm 119. We have questions that you've all been going through, same questions. The hope is that we would take the psalms that you have penned, for those that allow us, you can keep it anonymous or put your name on it, and we'd actually compile them, build a team to edit and proof them, and then actually put them into like a hardbound book. And from there, we can then reflect back on coming out of COVID, kind of where our church was in light of its emotional health. Uh, the worship team can then take it and they can, they can kind of develop liturgies like we just walked through, songs like we just walked through, and we can kind of allow our creatives to, to get to work and develop songs and develop um, other sorts of prayers and different sorts of liturgies for our church. That's the hope. That's where this whole Psalms series was taking us. How do we apply the gospel to our emotions or how do we exercise good emotional intelligence? Does that make sense? It's kind of a lot to say. Sorry, it's a lot to say, but uh, we'll be talking about it a lot over the next five weeks. Just encouraging you to, point, to, to pen a poem or a song. You're like, I ain't into all that. Maybe you should try it. You know, maybe you should try it. And so uh, we're not changing anything up. I'm not going to give you a bunch of things, a bunch of guidelines. You're already doing everything. Uh, I'm just, we're just going to invite you to sit in the same psalm and do it. Does that make sense? On the right side of the room. Anybody over here? You guys good? Okay. I'm a talker. I can talk through it all again if you want me to. I'd rather not. So... That's all I got. I want you to do this. Stand with me for the reading uh, of God's word. We're going to center in here, center back in here to the voice of the Lord. Before I start reading <clears throat> Psalm 119, uh, it's 176 verses. I'm only going to read eight, okay? It would take about 10 minutes to read the whole thing. Of the 176 verses in Psalm 119, listen to this, of the 176 verses 171 of the verses speak to God's voice. 
in one way or another, using a lot of words that are synonymous. There's only five verses out of the 176 that do not directly speak to the voice of the Lord. This is where the whole theme has come from this week. As I read Psalm 119, verse 1 through 8, I'll try to point that out, but I want you to pay attention uh, to this. It goes like this, verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law, would be the word, of the Lord. Verse 2, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart and also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. Verse 4, for you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Verse 6, then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments. Verse 7, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn of your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's voice here. Father in heaven, we're thankful that, that we have your word, that we get your voice, that we have access to it. Most of us in the room have your word in our back pockets, but we'd rather look at Facebook on it. So God, I pray that as we enter into this time together in your actual word, expositing your scriptures, God, may your voice just ring louder than every other voice. And may your voice speak to uncertainty and unfaithfulness. May it speak this verbal cues of trust and love and grace and mercy over us while we're here. May we feel the weight if all we had was your word and not a savior. God, help lead us away from legalism and religion. Take us out of the dark corner of trying to measure up all the time and be something more than you've already called us to be. So God, I pray as always you would oh, anoint my vocal cords as I lost my voice last week. God, help, help it to be strong today as I get to preach your word. I pray that you be with me in my ears as I'm listening to the text and the spirit and responding to those who are in front of me. And I pray the same for those who are here. Lord, may, you, may your words not fall on deaf ears this morning. May your voice be heard. I pray as always, God, help us to just lose track of time together as a family. Let us have fun and dig in and pull back, push in, in all the areas that you see fit. As Mark said in the first service, first service may, my, may my words be very, very short and small, but may your words, Lord, speak a good word over us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, all God's people said. Amen. 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 Just bear with me a little bit on my voice. I lost my voice prior to the marriage retreat. If you're at the marriage retreat, you know I was losing my voice in the midst of the marriage retreat. I got to go to Mexico this last week and didn't really have a voice the whole time I was there. I heard the weather was great here, by the way. So, suckers. <laughs> and so we did, we did 44 of us uh, went to Mexico. It was incredible for, for me, for us to get the experience, but for me specifically as someone who planted a church in order to plant a church and be a part of what's called the Acts 29 church planting network, where the markers you have to hit is have 40 people to be a part of your church. And so it's eight years later to take 44 people to Mexico, just as family and friends, to worship and have fun and party. And it's incredible. They get to do that. So to get into Psalm 1, thanks for a four. Actually, let me back up here. None of this is planned, sorry. I also want to say here, thank you for being a dynamite church. We're 44 people, all your paid pastors, your worship leaders, and predominant leaders within Mission Community can go completely out of the country, not to live on mission, but to just party and celebrate Jesus. And y'all didn't miss a beat. That's incredible. Just think about that for just a second, dude. That's incredible. So thank you for being dynamite. Now, let me hit you with conviction, okay? So let me ask, do you love the voice of God? Do you love the voice of God? Think about the word love there. The word voice 
who God is. Do you love the voice of God? Maybe you've never been asked if you love the voice of God. Maybe you don't know what it even means to begin to love the voice of God. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, dang, I didn't know that that was even a thing. Like, could I, how do I love his voice? That sounds kind of weird. Is that a thing? How do I do that? Do you love the voice of God? I would also ask them, like, what do you listen to? What do you predominantly listen to? Is it, is it God's word? Is it some podcast? Are you just sitting on social media? Do you spend all your time watching Fox or watching CNN? It's important, depending on what you're, actually it doesn't matter what you watch. It, it's important that you understand this. Everything that you listen to shapes you. Like you don't just hear something and it come into your ears and bounce back out into the universe, right? What happens in Vegas doesn't actually stay in Vegas, You bring Vegas home with you. It shapes your heart. It shapes your mind. It changes your worldview. And so it is with everything that we listen to. It actually shapes us. And so what we listen to matters because it begins to form in us like uh, different thoughts, different worldviews. Sociologically, it begins to affect us. Psychologically, most certainly, we are affected. Relationally, we are affected. And what you crave most is what you will listen to. If you crave acceptance, you're going to listen to acceptance. You're going to listen to things that all your friends and family are listening to you and actually not find diversity anywhere. You just look and feel just like them. If you crave power, you're going to listen to things that make you feel powerful and speak empowerment to you and over you. If you uh, crave comfort, you're going to listen to things that drive comfort. Instead of getting uncomfortable, you'll remain stagnant, insufficient within the gospel. What are you listening to? Do you love the voice of God? The big idea I have for you, this is where we're headed, the big idea is this. God has said all that he needs through his word. I mean this two ways, and the points will support it. God has said all he needs to say through his word, most certainly just through his word, through the canonized scriptures that we've been given, but God has also said all that he needs to say through his word, and that is the word that put on flesh, his son. He said everything he needs to say through his word here and also through his son. Two corresponding points is this: are this. The word made text. If you're a note taker, if you're online, thanks for tuning in. The word made text and the word made flesh. As we get into the word made text, I want to say I was so pumped for this. Man, I came back from Mexico. I'm all fired up. I'm excited. And I'll tell you what, as soon as I sat down to start writing, I immediately was hit with like, you need to be like attractive in your speech. You need to be able to reel the people in. You got to make sure that like you're contagious for them. Your excitement for the word has got to be their excitement for the word. The psalmist's excitement for the word. You got you got to share in that sort of excitement. Immediately, I felt all this pressure. I come back from super restful Sabbath time with family, and immediately hit with like, no, but your word, Corey, needs to speak louder than their word. Your voice matters more than their voice of the Lord. While we're entering into a week that is focused specifically on God's voice, it should not catch me off guard that this happens, right? And the Spirit ever so sweetly gave me a quote from Charles Spurgeon, whom I love and who I read a lot about this last week, but I did not read this quote. Charles is going to liken God's word to a lion. And the Spirit brought, remind me of this quote. I'm going to share it with you, and then we're going to let the Holy Spirit just crush the sermon, all right? It says this. Charles Spurgeon, there seems to me to have been twice as much done in some ages in defending the Bible as in expounding it. We spend more time trying to defend it than just researching it. But if the whole of our strength shall henceforth go to the exposition and spreading of it, we may leave it pretty much to defend itself. Yeah? I do not know whether you see that lion, he says. It is very distinctly before my eyes. 
A number of persons advanced to attack him, while a host of us would defend the grand old monarch, that British lion, with all of our strength. Many suggestions are made, and much advice is offered. This weapon is recommended, and the other, listen to this, pardon me if I may offer a quiet suggestion. Open the door and let that lion out. Amen. He will take care of himself. Why? They are gone. He no sooner goes forth in his strength than his assailants flee. The way to meet infidelity is to spread the Bible. The answer to every objection against the Bible is, in fact, the Bible. So it is not my job to get up to appease, to make you feel a certain way, because the way that I'm worried about you thinking about me, my job today is just to introduce you to his voice. Let that grand old monarch out the cage and watch him get to work. Yeah? So let's get after it. The word made text. Here at Heights, we, man, we love God's word to say that's an understatement for us. We believe that God's word is inerrant, that it is infallible. That means that it is without error, that it is completely true, everything about it. If there's something in here that I don't understand or we don't understand has more to do with me being broken and sinful than has to do with God's word being complete and finished. It's like we love God's word. And so there's some things in here I'm going to say about God's word. I want to preface everything I'm going to say with with that, But if all you have, right, if all we have is the word of God and we don't have a savior from God, we just have the word from God, then we're just going to land ourselves in legalism and then a negative understanding of religion. We're going to feel this weight that I need to achieve and I need to overcome and I need to hit the, the checkpoints and hit the to-do list and just kind of pick myself up by my bootstraps and white knuckle this mother till we get to heaven. That's all God has for me. It's just right here in his word. Well, listen, if all God has is his word and there's no one coming forth from the word to save us from what's revealed in this thing, we don't actually have anything. So we need the word has been made text, okay? We need that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you uh, what the word exposes whenever all you have is the word and you don't have a savior whose name is Jesus. It's the exact same thing that the confession that Mark gave, but we're going to expound Upon us. Let me just show you what happens when all you have is the word and you don't have the Savior that exists within this word that comes. Verse 1 looks like this. Verse 1 Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Okay? Keep in mind, this is supposed to be a beautiful psalm written by a psalmist who loves God's word, but we're just approaching it from a legalistic standpoint. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law. Of the Lord. Just this week, whenever Mark and I were sitting together with the team, kind of planning, like, what does God have for our church body? Right out the gate, the first thing Mark said when he read that was, This is incriminating. This, this actually makes it presents me in a way where I appear and I look and I feel guilty. He's like, I just feel guilty. There's no way that I'm blameless. There's no way that I understand all of the law of the Lord. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Blessed are those whose way is perfect. Are you perfect? Blessed are those whose way is holy, whose way is righteous, who know and understand the law of the Lord, right? This is a, a similar introduction to Psalm 1, whenever he said, blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but meditates on the law of the Lord. There's this correlation here where if you are actively walking out the law of God, then your behavior, your character, the way you present yourself will reflect that. Blessed are those who know God's law. The problem here is that if I had to guess, 98% of you don't know God's law. If I had to guess the way I'm about to present it to you, 100% of you don't know God's law. 
Now, if I were to ask, what is God's law? You might say something like the Ten Commandments, or if you're a nerd, you might say like the Mosaic Law. If you take it a little bit further, you might be like, what's well, called the Pentateuch, or the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible, and all those answers would be right, but they would also be wildly inaccurate in that they are not complete. Whenever Jesus references the law on the Sermon on the Mount, he actually references the Psalms as part of the law, which are not in the first five books of the Bible, are they? Is it? Are they? No, the answer is no there. Kind of proving my point by not immediately saying no, by the way. But Jesus specifically references the Psalms. And so what Jesus is revealing in the Sermon on the Mount is that God's law is not limited to the first five books of the Bible or the scroll of Isaiah, but rather it is all of God's word, all of God's law, all of his voice, every single bit of it. The psalmist is saying those who follow all of God's word, well, they live a holy life and they are blameless and they are innocent. You put them in a courtroom and they're deemed not guilty because of their knowledge of God's law. It has kept them walking a certain way. So why would a worship leader walk in on a Tuesday during a meeting as a predominant leader in your church and say, that's incriminating? Well, because it is. It's 100%. It's impossible to follow all of God's law. It's impossible to know, memorize, fully understand and grasp all of God's word. Like, do you feel clean whenever you come in to confrontation with God's word? Do you feel justified? Do you feel really, really good about yourself? Right? If you don't follow his law, as in like, what I mean is like, mm, what I say is, if you don't know anything about his law, like at all, if you just don't take any mind as a professing Christian to read God's word, you might think, yeah, I actually feel pretty dope. That's because you haven't been confronted with the word. You are most certainly not dope, <laughs> right? Like when you come to it, like even right now, it's like, do you know all of it? Because that is the command. And then it goes a step further. Verse two, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his Way. So not only are we called to know the law of God, all of the law of God, but also we got to keep his testimonies. Now, if I were you sitting there, I'd be like, I don't even know what testimony means. Like, what does that mean in light of the Bible? First, I don't know all the law, now I don't know what he means by testimony. Well, that in the Hebrew, is referencing God's covenants, his covenant promises that have been fulfilled in Scripture. And the psalmist is saying those who know those promises, those who can recall those promises, when the sun is shining and when it's a terribly gray and rainy day, those who are setting in seasons of celebration as well as suffering, those individuals, and they can recall the covenant faithfulness of God, they are going to be blessed, which means then by uh, adverse effect, if you cannot recall the covenant faithful promises of God, you are most certainly not what? Blessed. He's saying those who can do that are blessed. Those who cannot do that are not blessed. Let me ask you, do you know them? Off the top of the dome, do you know the covenant, faithful promises of God that have been fulfilled, the Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, Mosaic covenant, Abrahamic covenant, Davidic covenant, the covenants that come from Jeremiah? If you don't, good luck. According to Psalm 119, the word and the word alone, right? That's what he's saying. Just sticking to the word here, the covenants that began in the Bible that are seen all throughout covenant history, redemptive history. And he says, not only that, not only do you need to know them, okay? Not only do you need to know them, but keep them with your whole heart diligently is what it said. So with everything in you, you should recall those promises. Are they a blessing to you? How can something be a blessing to you that you don't know anything about? How can something be a benefit to you if you don't know anything about it. Do you hear God's voice calling out 
from his covenants. According to Psalm 119, if you don't, well, good riddance and good luck. Well, I don't know. I mean, that sounds kind of harsh. We're looking at the word and the word alone here, the word as text, the word made text. Surely there's some leniency in here. Let's go to verse 4. Here's your leniency. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. That doesn't sound like leniency to me, church. That sounds like God saying, you have commanded it, the psalmist saying. You've commanded your precepts. You're like, oh, geez, what does a freaking precept mean? I don't know what testimony was. I'm supposed to know what precept means. You've commanded your precepts. Well, this actually gets more harsh and more difficult for us if all we have is the word. Because what a precept is is actually God's rule for your personal conduct and character. And so what the psalmist is saying here is that it's not just about knowing the voice of God, but it's about actually being the voice of God to everyone around you. And the weight that's put here is a command, and apart from anything else outside of the word, it is the only command that matters. There is no leeway. There is no wiggle room in this psalm. You still tracking with me? If you have the word and the word alone. And so I want you to feel the weight of what this means. This means every single day of your life, according to God's word, should be in complete and total surrender to God at every single moment. Every millisecond of every second, every second of every minute, every minute of every hour, every hour of every day, every day of every week, every week of every month, every month of every year. How you doing? Doing pretty good? Feel the weight. Every thought, every idea, every conversation, every greeting, every opportunity, do all things unto the Lord and keep them diligently. This is about your personal conduct. How was your personal conduct this morning with your kids while you tried to get to church? How was your personal conduct last night when you were trying to get them down because you had an early morning of the day? Some of y'all are here in the second service because your personal conduct wasn't very good enough, wasn't good enough to get you the nine o'clock service, <laughs> right? Feel the weight of that? Diligently keep them. The Ten Commandments, you know them by heart? That's actually the moral aspect of the law that, te- that teaches us how to walk out this very thing he's talking about. How many of you can quote the Ten Commandments by memory? Shall not lie, shall not steal, shall not covet, shall not be jealous. How are we doing with those four? Honor your mother and father for the only promise, that co- only command that comes with a promise. How are we doing it? Honoring mom and dad. What about the New Testament? 59 one another's in Scripture. Did you know? That there are 59 commands in the New Testament? This is post-Jesus. 59. They were called to greet one another, serve one another, be gracious to one another, gossip to one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the single dudes are like, finally, first base, let's go. (laughs) Let's go. I was talking to Mark about it. Mark said, you single dudes can try, but he pays to fight people throughout the week in jiu-jitsu. So if he can catch a free one, come on, let's get him one. I don't know if you saw how big he was holding that acoustic. The command is to keep the precepts diligently, and that is carefully, that is with purpose, that's with virtue, as a virtue. Do you know all of God's law? Do you know all of the one another's? Do you keep them all diligently as seen in your personal character among everyone around you? How are we doing? Gives me heart palpitations. Literally, right now, literally. Just makes me feel like there is literally no hope. Because I have failed at everything I've just said. If you were saved by the word alone, if you were saved by the word alone and your good works alone, do you see yourself walking into the kingdom of heaven tomorrow? The answer is no. It's absolutely Impossible for those that profess faith in Jesus in the room, but you, you keep 
trying to measure up. How are we doing? For those that come in as professing Christians, and yet still are constantly feeling the weight of, I need to pray more, I need to serve more, I need to give more, I need to be more involved, I need to be more attentive, I need to be a better husband, a better wife, a better spouse, a better kid. I, need, I do need to respond better to my parents. And, and, if, if, and, 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 and take a look further. And if I did, if I did all these things really, really, really well, Psalm 119 tells me if I did all that really well, then God would show me favor, and then God would show me grace, and then finally he would swing open the heavenly gates wide and accept me as a son and daughter. Like if all you have is God and his word, all you have is legalism. You have an incredible desire to continue to measure up, and you will never meet and exceed any expectation in here ever for the rest of your life. When all you have is the word-made text, that's it. And that there's so many Christians that come here and they say, man, that's what I got to do. This is a list of to-dos and a list of to-don'ts. Just get out my checklist, baby. Let's start writing down my to-do list for the day. And if I can accomplish what's in here, oh, man, I feel so good about myself. But you won't. You will just get crushed under the weight of impossible expectations. And yet God has the audacity to say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How's that a possibility? We're going to get to it in a minute. Verse 5. The psalmist now transitions from talking about everything out there, you and God, to now himself. Verse 5. First person. Anytime the Bible switches perspective, you should pay attention. Verse 5. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. This verse frustrates me. I'll tell you why in a moment. But I read that this week, and I was like, really? Like That's the mindset under these impossible expectations? This plea for more? I want more expectations. I want more of your statues. I want more of that placed upon me. That's not front. That was so frustrating. So let's camp out here and I'll help walk you out of it in the way that God walked me out of it. Whenever you think about your statues, as it says here in the text, another word we don't use, when it says statutes with a T, I want you to think statues minus a T. You tracking? When it says statutes, I want you to think statue. A statue is a permanent, unchanging fixture for the most part. You track with me? A statue is a permanent, unchanging fixture. A statute is an unchanging and permanent word that towers over every other word. This is what he's begging for. This is a, there's a plea in the psalmist's tone here for the voice of God to literally tower over every other voice in your life, every single voice. Let me push it a little bit further for you. Think about the arch as an illustration. Many of us drive by the arch. I imagine every single person in the room has seen the arch. Everyone watching online has seen it. If you haven't, for some reason, you just Google it. And so the arch is there. You can see it from all over the land. The arch is a fixed structure that towers over every other structure. It's a statue, right? And so is God's word is like that, but it's a statute. It's his commands that have been given to us. Well, just as you can See the arch from afar. You can see it. You can be captivated by it, even if you drive by it every day. If you just take a moment to kind of look at it, it's captivating. It's beautiful. It's an incredible piece of architecture, and you can see that from all over the land. You can pay a whole lot of money to go up in that thing if you want to. You can ride that rickety-o elevator of death to the top of it. You can look out like a window, like in an, airport, like in an airplane, and you feel that thing sway. I don't know why anyone pays to go up there, by the way. Just look at it, okay? Don't look at it. You feel that thing sway, right? You can be in the arch, and what happens when you look out that window is you get like a whole new vantage point. You get a whole new perspective, a whole different, your worldview 
changes, where you normally spend your life in your day-to-day activities, where you make that commute, when you drive by that smelly old dump over there, like all of that stuff starts to look different. It looks more beautiful. It looks more lavish. It looks magnificent, right? You have a whole different vantage point and worldview from that place. Well, just as you can enter into the arch and never fully understand the arch, so also you can enter into God's word and hear his voice. The psalmist is saying that. Like, I want your word to tower over me in a way that no other voice or word towers over me. I want to enter into your word. I want your word to enter into me, and I want it to create for me a whole new worldview. I want a whole new vantage point. I want everything that seems mundane and boring in the world, my commute, my job, my family, whatever it may be, I want you to give me a whole new perspective. He's saying, oh, that I may have your statutes given to me. There's this plea from the psalmist to be formed and reformed from the inside. He doesn't want to just hear the word and have it bounce out back into the universe. He wants it to take shape inside of him and reform his heart and reform his soul and make you look like a whole different person. That's what he's begging for. He's begging for this. Now, the question is this. How can that be possible? Like, how is that possible? So the question I have here, I'll take my time, I'll slow down, dial it back a little bit. How can the psalmist set an attention and the weight of such clear expectations that are impossible to follow, by the way? How can he set over here on this side and simultaneously fall madly in love with the voice that gave those same expectations? How is that possible? How can he set under the weight of such difficult and impossible expectations that just reveal the character of God, by the way? You only know God's character, you just read this. How does he set in the tension of that and simultaneously plead for and fall madly in love with the very same voice? How's it possible for him? How's it possible for us? This is what I was asking this week. How can he, how can he beg that? How do I get to a place to beg that? Whenever I read that, I'll, apart from anything else, if I just have this, all I feel is weight. I just feel expectation. I have one of our pastors in my ear. Partial obedience is fully disobedient. Anything short of perfect obedience is still just disobedience. So how can he fall in love with that? Where does the psalmist get this joy? How can he say, like, if you break God's law, it breaks you, and simultaneously, I love the giver of that law? How does that happen? Well, what's interesting about this is this. Every other religion in the world and every other spirituality in the world, all they have is the word-made text. So what we're setting in right now is the reality of everyone who sets outside of biblical Christianity. Every world religion, every spirituality has a, a Bible or has a Quran or has a scroll or has a... But none of them have someone who's come. None of them has a word that is put on flesh. I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. Before we get there, let me continue to set in this with you. If all you have is God's word, you have... Sorry, if all you have is the word-made text, let me back that up. You have two options. You can break under the weight of trying to bend to its will, or you can try to manipulate it to make it fit your will. Does that make sense? There's only two things you can do. You can break under the weight of trying to bend to its will, or you can try to bend it to fit your will and manipulate it. I want you to check this out. Someone sent this to me uh, three weeks ago. Can you throw up that picture for me? This is a, a woman, I assume, uh, who is looking for this word-made text but not word made flesh. Listen to this. I'm going to read this to you. Um, are there any churches in the area? This is Eversol area moms. Are there any churches in the area that don't emphasize belief or faith in God? It's, uh, not a church at that point, I guess. 
or believing that Jesus died for our sins as a main tenant of the, their belief system. Like a church that discusses kindness and integrity as being integral to living a good life and how the Bible teaches those values, but doesn't make faith the central part of being a good person or going to heaven. I totally realize the answer may just be no, and I pray to God that it is no, and that's okay. I was raised in a church that taught this way, and I liked it, but that church doesn't have a branch around here. Praise the Lord for that as well. Looking for something that might be similar. I know that the Unitarian Church may be a good option for us. Just wanting to see if there are any other churches we should look into. Thanks. If you ever respond that Heights Community is that church, please just put on there. And my pastor would love to take you to coffee. Just qualify it with something. But we're most certainly not that. Our, we were not listed underneath that. There was a lot of churches that were. This is an example, though. Listen, this is an example of someone who wants Christianity apart from Christ. They want the word made text. But she, bless her soul, has no idea what she's asking for. I just approached Psalm 119 with this in mind and our call to confession in mind. If all you wanted was, was that, no one to come, no one to save, no one to redeem, you just wanted to have a good virtue, you want to live a good life, you want to have a decent amount of integrity, you would literally have to read all of the Bible in the way that we just read Psalm 119. How encouraged were you, church, by Psalm 119? You weren't. It's crippling. It's heavy. It was impossible. I fed you an impossibility is what I gave you. There's no one in the room at, the, at this point in the service, if we were to stop, no one in the room would sit in and be like, dang, that was good for my soul, pastor. Thank you. I feel so good right now. Let's take communion. There's no, there is no communion in that, by the way. There, you don't even take communion because there's no Jesus to celebrate. You tracking? When you read things like that, you need to stop sometimes and just sit and pray for people instead of just scrolling on to the next thing. Feel the humanity. Feel the desperation in that. Feel the longing and the need for something more. What they're saying in that is this. I want the word made I want the word made text, but it is so crippling and so difficult to bear, I need to manipulate it. In there, you can feel the weight of bending under the pressure of having the word and the word alone. You can feel it in there as you read it. This is a woman reaching out, crying out, longing. This is a mom in our community longing for something more. And praise God that we have something more. Because if God's word alone was sufficient to save, it would be impossible to experience salvation. Should be on the, put that on the screen. If God's word alone was sufficient to save, it would be impossible to experience salvation. Dude, if it was up to you and your understanding of the word and your really, really good works on your best day, on my best day, we would never make it into the kingdom if we're totally fixated on just the word and the word alone as law. So we have to preach then both law and gospel, right? What this woman is in craving on Facebook, she's craving without understanding it, Jesus She's craving the word made flesh, not the word made text, although we do need both. I'm trying to be clear about that, and we have him. He has come in the flesh. John 1, 1 says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that has ever been made. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then we continue, John 1, 14, and the word became, what, flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the 
only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received, talking to Christians, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Verse 17, for the law, God's word, everything that we're referencing, all of God's word was given through Moses. First five books, that's the Pentateuch for sure. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Put a pen in it. The reason that we can sit here in front of the word and, and hear all these expectations, expectations for perfection, and we can feel all the weight and everything it's calling to, and a lot of personal holiness and obedience and character. The only reason we get to sit here in this word and sit alongside the psalmist as he's crawling, uh, crying out for more is because there's a Jesus that comes and actually puts flesh on this word. He said the law comes through Moses. All that the law does in and of itself is reveal how far you are from God. Right? Apart from the gospel, apart from Jesus, there is no measuring up. Right? That's it. The law reveals your desperate need for a Messiah, and that's it. That's what it's supposed to do. That's what it did in the first part of the sermon. And so as we come to God's word, we can delight in it alongside the psalmist because we know this Messiah is coming. And he comes in grace and truth. He says grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. How, how is it that we get to pick ourselves back up, not by our bootstraps, but by the power of the Holy Spirit and pursue God's word again? Because Christ has fulfilled it in every single way that he could ever fulfill it. The word, the voice of God himself put on flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 18, I forgot. Verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, though he has made him known. The word and the word alone is insufficient to save. It only leads to judgment. And at the same time, hear me, we need the law. We need all of God's word, and we also need the gospel. This is what separates us from every other school of thought Every other religion and every other spirituality is that we don't have just the word-made text, but we have the word-made flesh. This is why I said the big idea. God has said all he needs to say in his word. Fortunately for us, we have this part of it, where Jesus comes. He lives a perfect life and dies the most humiliating death on the cross, rises to new life. Do you know whenever Jesus goes to the cross, he didn't just go to the cross to die for sinners. That's most certainly a point of, part of it. Jesus goes to the cross to fulfill God's word. He fulfills every single aspect of it. Think about that. All the words that we didn't know coming into the sermon. Jesus fulfills. He fulfills the commandments. He fulfills the precepts. He fulfills the statutes. Statutes with a T. And how does he do it? By going to the greatest statue that's ever overshadowed humanity, the cross. Jesus Christ has fulfilled every single aspect. And he did it with an incredible amount of love for his father. It was his father's voice. Recall the garden. Whenever Jesus says, is there another way? Like this woman's looking for another way. Is there another way where I can rely on myself, where I can do things myself? Jesus says, Father, is there another way? Is there a way I can, I can bring salvation without the cross? Is there a way I can bring salvation without faith in me? Is there a way I can bring salvation while not being betrayed by my best friend, while not being beaten by the very people I came to save? And the Father looks at him and says, no, you must do this to fulfill the law and the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, not a dot, not an iota of the law will pass away before I fulfill it. He looks at God's word, he looks at his voice, and he says, not a letter of the law, not even a portion of the letter of the law. Not the dot from an eye will be removed. I would rather heaven and earth be removed, he says, as the word of God who's put on flesh. I'm going to fulfill every single aspect of it. Why? 
to set them free. That's why. So whenever we fail to respond to God's word in perfect obedience, the beauty of the gospel is grace upon grace upon grace. Now, with that in mind, church, we can view verse 6 in Psalm 119. That's so incredible. That's dope. Tell you that. That's dope. Quote that on Facebook if you want to. Verse 6 says this. Listen to him. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments. There's no need to fear God's law and commandments, for they have been fulfilled in Christ. It is actually Jesus' obedience that frees us to further explore God's word. Because we get to enter into it. Verse 7, he says, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn of your righteous rules, when I learn of your righteous judgment. There is no fear in this sense, no fearful, like scary fear in coming before the Father who is also the judge because Jesus has taken our judgment. We don't have to judge ourselves. There is no Romans 8, no condemnation for those whom are in Christ Jesus. There's no self-condemnation then. Right? Whenever you're struggling to get yourself here with your kids or your family, you're struggling as a single, dealing with whatever addictive personality trait you have to deal with, with pornography or alcohol or whatever it may be. Maybe it's just late nights, and maybe the addiction is just a significant other. I don't know. The reality is, like, there is no self-condemnation. There is only condemnation in Christ and a resurrection. And it pulls us out of the throes of that. Verse 8, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. My gosh. Like, if you missed everything, I don't know how you could have missed all that, but if you did, just know this. If you missed the gospel, Jesus, who was perfect, perfect, kept the law in every way, kept all of God's word for us, was utterly and totally forsaken in the cross. The only one who was innocent was judged. But we who are deserving of judgment, who are most certainly not innocent, will never be judged in Christ because he took that. But whenever you get that, that level of grace, like that level of mercy, who loves you like that? Ain't nobody loves you like that. And this is always the will of the Father according to his word. And so we need God's word as text, yes and amen. Most certainly, we should be obedient to it. We should be passionate about it. And we should do all things with the understanding that Jesus did it perfectly. So when we fail, grace upon grace upon grace. Amen? Stand with me. Let's take communion. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Uh, for your word, it is good and right. Thank you, Lord, these over all of us, Lord. We've, and technically, there is no failure in the gospel. There's only grace. But God, I pray that you give us grace to succeed, that we might look to your, your voice over every cultural voice, over every news broadcast, over every podcast, over every vlog, over every tweet, over every Instagram, TikTok, Facebook post, Lord. May your voice ring louder. May your voice ring just. May it be good. May it speak hope into our lives, God. Sons and daughters, Lord, I pray right now you just remove the feeling of needing to measure up. Uh, God, if we were good enough and perfect, we would have went to the cross and you seen your son instead of us, which outs us. So God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you we don't have to go to the cross. We don't have to self-condemn or condemn or self or condemn others. This understanding removes pride it removes arrogance. It removes the ability or the desire to know everything. Um, so we just thank you for being a louder voice, God. I pray that you breed humility in us as a people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we enter into a time of...